0: Hey everybody, welcome along. It is the V8 Sleuth Podcast powered by Repco. Episode 102, no cake for this one. We had chocolate cake, we had fruit cake. we had all the cakes after our 100th episode last week. 102, Will Dale's with me, no cake. Uh, what do we have to do to get some more cake around?
1: Ma- mate, I'm caked out after last yeah, week. Yeah, fair point.
0: Yeah, fair point. I'm, a good the fruit cake. A, I'm the side of a bus. <laughs> uh, uh, size of The side of a bus. Uh, this is a QA and a episode. We've got a bunch of questions from our V8 Sleuth faithful through... Socials website the like they uh, they flow in from all angles. Before we get into them, and there's some corking questions here that mm. uh, have uh, come up with some equally corkingly good responses. Um, we are in the midst of something right now at V8 Sleuth that is very serious, that is out of control. I think it's probably contractually obliged for me to say I've gone mad, I've gone <laughs> crazy because it's our Mad March sale on the V8 Sleuth website. Jump on it now, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. Heaps of discounts. We don't do sales very often, up to 25% off a range of our books, DVDs, prints, posters. Get in there, grab yourself a bargain. Um, It runs through to the evening of Sunday, March twenty eighth. It finishes at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Savings Time. Just remember that depending on which state you're in. Uh, The Mad March sale, it's on the V8sleuth Online Bookshop. Be there, as the great man used to say. Yes. So, uh, Mad March Sale is we're in full swing. Let's get into the swing of some questions. Uh, Matt Bottrell is a regular and he's asked an interesting one. He's been watching the recent replays on Fox Sports of old supercars rounds and he said of the recent replay of Calder 1999, by the way, I was there. uh, Craig was going down on his lid that day from memory. Yes, he was. Uh, Race 2 was won by Garth Tander. Mark Osler mentioned it was Garth's first official win because a courtroom decision about an earlier race at Queensland Raceway had denied him a win there. What was that all about?
1: So, at QR, which was the very first QR event, and a lot happened that weekend. There was rain, there was red flags. Graining
0: tyres. Graining
1: tyres. Massive queue to get in. And get out. And get out. Well, in race three, Bow passed Tander under a yellow flag and copped a black flag for it. But didn't come in because that's right. He yeah, just pressed on. He just didn't kept he? going. Yeah. Which you think about any anyone doing that now? You imagine what out. would happen. You get thrown out. Well, in in JB's case, not only did he stay out, not only did he ignore the black flag, not only did he take the checkered flag first, um, the team appealed it, found there was insufficient evidence for, of him making the pass under the yellow flag, and um, was awarded the victory. So Garth's first race win, um, but was that didn't happen. after? That was subsequent, yes.
0: Yeah, so on the day, Tandor was deemed the winner of that race.
1: There was the hats, there was the cheering, there was the celebrations, and, um, yeah, history shows that none of that actually happened.
0: Well, it was a case where he still won the round, though.
1: He did win the round, yes.
0: Back in the day, that was the round format, so most points wins stands on top of the podium. But, Mm. yeah, race three, all three races were in the one day. So could you imagine pulling that now, black flag? (laughs) Could you imagine Jamie Winkup doing that? Black flag at Bathurst. I passed on a <laughs> safety car or I <laughs> did whatever I did. Press on. It's about the only press thing he on. hasn't,
1: that he hasn't done at Bathurst in the closing stages.
0: Yeah. Well, there's always room for a new one. Uh, yeah. He's covered most bases at <laughs> he's Bathurst.
1: Like, let's hope not.
0: Because uh, I think you, you've done some digging through the magazines of the period that uh, I think Motorsport News might have reported that CAMS at the time was considering appealing to the Australian Motorsports Appeals Court. But in the end, they didn't go through with it. Gary Rogers didn't go through with it. And... JB's got one more race win in his career record
1: book to suit. <laughs> well, that's it. You think about the precedent that sets.
0: Yeah, it's. I, I couldn't imagine us getting to that point today. I don't think anyone would ignore a black flag. I no. think it was a bit. More, I don't think
1: anyone would think to.
0: Oh, they'd think to, but they wouldn't do it. I don't <laughs> yes. think they'd do it. I don't think they'd have the gumption to do it. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that that is the reason, Matt, why that happened and how it was so some what twenty two years ago.
1: Indeed. Next question from McKay Berry. What was the reasoning behind the Tiger on the signs of the 2006 Tasman motorsport cars? Now, if only we knew someone who had some level of involvement with the team. Um,
0: oh, that's me? Yes, uh, yes. I was yeah. a PR guy. So, yeah, yeah I, do re- <laughs> <laughs> I do remember this. Uh, that was really about trying to build the Tasman motorsport team and come up with a brand. So, a la football team, so... Geelong, they're the Cats. Hawthorne, Hmm. the Hawks. Collingwood, the Magpies. Port Adelaide, the Power or the Magpies, depending on whether you are a staunch uh, SANFL or AFL supporter or follower. That's really what that was about, was building a bit of an identity that people could connect to. They're the Tiger team. Hmm. Um, And remember that in 2006, Tasman employed a rotating group of sponsors, not liveries. They stayed with the same base orange and black. Oh, yeah, because I had like
1: Sleepyhead at yeah, one point. Yeah, Sleepyhead
0: was there for New Zealand. Uh, SEW Eurodrive, I remember, for one of the rounds. Smorgan Steel was there. Mm. Um, uh, oh, there was, a, there was a, a bunch of different ones before the whole concept of different livery per round mm. really came on the scene. At the time, that was seen to be, well, you got to have a sponsor for the whole year. You can't keep changing every round. Well, when you need the cash, you'll do whatever you need to do. But, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that was really the... The idea behind the Tiger was to create the brand.
1: Um, and when you think about it, like HRT and Holden, for that matter, had the line, yeah. always had for a long time. I don't think there was anything particularly forward. Well, the A lot of Falcon teams incorporated the Falcon mm. like into they their did. design, like FPR and Lark- Mark Larkham.
0: Yeah. Tiger only lasted a year, though. Mm. Um, the following year, 2007, when Jason Richards and Greg Murphy were teammates, uh, the tiger disappeared, but the base livery with different sponsors stayed in place. I don't think the tiger was on it from. Did memory. it get
1: replaced by the Firepower logo at some point? Oh, I wrong? wasn't
0: going to mention Firepower mm. because that's a bit of a disaster. In yes. uh, that's probably in one that's of our. Uh, that's a different podcast for a different day, but uh, yeah, that's that's one of those sponsors of supercars that don't exist anymore and that have interesting corporate histories. Is mm. probably the. The title that one. I think the other thing that probably didn't hurt is that um, one of the partners at Tasman at the time, James Henderson, um, he's uh, he's a Tassie boy through and yeah. through. So, wheeling, of course, the Tigers are the Tasmanian cricket team, like the state team. So, I wonder, I haven't had a chance to ask Kendo, but. Um, He's definitely not a Richmond man in AFL. I think he's a bit more a Hawthorne man. He actually manages – he's worked a lot with Greg Murphy over the years, Garth Tander, uh, Rihanna Crean, Greg Rust in management positions and things like that. But he also manages Alistair Clarkson,
1: coach of the Hawks.
0: So, um, yeah, yeah, plenty of tie-ups between uh, motorsport and football and the the wider sporting world. But, uh, yeah, bring back the tiger. Bring back the tiger, I say. I reckon we're due for someone to – we let a mascot of some sort of description or logo on a car. Uh, Matthew Ray has the next question: Was Anthony Tratt's final toll car repaired after the Phillip Island shunt? If so, where is it today? I
1: had to look this up because I'd forgotten that Tratty had had a massive crash oh, at Phillip Island. I
0: bet you Larry hasn't forgotten.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Enough, to, like a hundred thousand dollars worth of damage. I think Larry said at big. the time it was big. It was- e- yeah. Gave it a good old walloping. It was big for Traddy as well. Like, he still has lingering- Like, we talked to him for Saturday Sleuthing a couple of years ago. He says he still has lingering neck issues from the impact. i surprised.
0: Bouncing yeah. off the fence that hard. It was a hay shed that he went in.
1: No, oh, it was turn one and two. Turn one and two. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. He was too. And that put him out. That was qualifying, I think, or practice. And yeah. put him out for the weekend, and that car was-
1: Temporarily toast. Yes, but it did come back. It was back for the next season. In fact, it actually ran in a supercars race- at the support race of the Grand Prix the following year in Paul Dumbrell's hands, but primarily it was rebuilt for Shane Price to run in what was... What was it? Fujitsu that, Series. Fujitsu Series at yeah, that point. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, Super
0: yeah. 2 at that point. It wasn't Dunlop Series. It was... Um, and because Perkins ran two cars, one for mm-hmm. Shane, one for Jack Perkins. So um, that car's now in New Zealand. Yes. Uh, it's been over there for some time, actually. Races in a, a category over there that's... I guess it's a bit more akin to sports sedans here in a way. So... Um, Probably a good point to mention, too, that it is one of the 50-odd cars that are covered in our Perkins Car History book. It's open a pre-order now. Uh, you can jump on our website, bookshopv It's not part of the Mad March sale. When it's a pre-order item, we can't give discounts on it because it's a pre-order item. It's yeah. still been completed and worked upon, and it hasn't been released to market just yet, but um, amazing response from our fan base, too. The books on the history of the DJR cars, HRT, have been sold out for some time. The pre-orders for Perkins have been really strong. People are really getting behind this and making sure they lock themselves in for a copy, so make sure that you do too. And, Matthew, if you want to read some more about that chassis, Perkins Engineering 042 is the number for that one. When you get your book, you can flick straight to that page. Um, Corey State, no food questions from Corey this week. I'm, I'm concerned. Shocked. I'm really concerned. Um, it is a serious question. I'm not sure there's an answer, though. You, you you tell me what you can come mm. up with. How can we get rid of the negative people leaving hate and negative comments on social media? There seems to be so much of it lately and it's dragging the sport down.
1: It's yeah, it's it's been a consistent it has been awful lately, but it's been awful at various points of the past five five years. I'd probably longer. More. I'd say more. Um I don't think there's the hardest thing with it from a from a social media management. Perspective is that there's only so much time in the day to clear to actually delete awful comments. Uh, there have been instances where um, you guys, the listeners, our social media community have alerted us to things that mm. we hadn't seen, which we really appreciate. And as soon as we're notified about that sort of stuff, we we go have a look and assess it and generally just give it the flip. Generally,
0: it's a very quick assessment. Yeah. It's a uh, ban. Yeah, uh, exactly. We've been... We don't... We haven't banned lots of people because no. by and large I think our our audience and our following is pretty good. Yeah. But every now and then it takes a couple of dickheads to just start pounding away at one another about, you know what, things that really don't matter, yeah. that they get wound up about so much crap um, and we just bone it. Yeah. It's, the, it's the simple way. If you want to go and have those knuckle-dragger fights somewhere else, go and take it to someone else's page because that's not what we're all about. It's not what we've built our platform on. And uh, I think Corey's right. I don't see you'll ever get rid of it. It's kind of like um, it's a reflection of people. Yeah. There are a bazillion negative, prickly, annoying people out there. You just didn't have to deal with them or see them because you didn't have a way for them to connect to you. Mm. Whereas now in the modern world of social media and phones and all that stuff, I think it's positive still outweigh It's negatives, but it's negatives sadly are catching in that race of the balance between the the two things. But I think the fact that one thing that I actually take a lot out of is that we see a lot of people before we get to it, you know, a Facebook comment or whatever Mm. it is, it's other users, it's other commenters, it's other followers of the page calling it out, tagging us, hey, piss off, mate, whatever whatever it is to just um, – Self-releasing in a way. Yeah, and and – as we've grown, our whole world has grown as a V8 sleuth world. So it's not just me anymore sitting there with a little Facebook page of four or 5,000 people who love the history of the old race cars. It's 78,000 followers now. It's the four-fifths of the MCG who follow our page <laughs> uh, when you put it into that sort of uh, perspective. We can't simply sit there all day parked on our phone reading comments, uh, admitting the page we do it mm. as much as we can as often as we can as well as we can but unfortunately i mean i have a real theory that it's <laughs> the responsibility comes from i'm responsible for what i say or what mm. i write or what i do as you are totally as well. yeah but it seems like there's the thing that well i can't control what everybody else says and sometimes we get accused of inflaming things which i think is, which is really annoying to me we do content that is of interest that is of note and everyone has to take responsibility for their own bloody actions. Yeah. We're not here to be the nursery for people. We're not here to hold their hand. If you can't be civil, be reasonable, be proper, go away. It's not my problem that other people elect to take certain stories or certain angles and then take them off onto another tangent yeah. or to, to start abusing people or abusing us or anything like that. I, I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. Every lap in under a minute... Means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Supercars Unforgettable.
1: Next question from Liam Baker. Hey team, been thinking about the stepping stones to get to supercars. Has it changed in the last few years? Is it gone are gone the days of going from carts to Formula Ford to Super 2 or GT3? What roads are some of the next gen taking?
0: It's an interesting question, isn't it? I think it's it's always going to be governed by your, your wallet, mm. really, because the days of a supercars team stopping and plucking you out of Formula Ford as the next big thing, they're pretty much gone. Yeah, I wouldn't say GT three is a stepping stone category at all. Um, no, the days of it. Look, carts. I think Formula Ford's still crucial. Still crucial. It doesn't matter what you want to do. If you want to be a GT driver, a supercar driver, an open wheel driver, Formula Ford's gonna teach you stuff that you're gonna take with you wherever you go, whatever you do. Totally. Super three, I think you really gotta do there's so many Super Two teams that won't touch you if you haven't done Super Three, unless you are someone who's bounced in from international experience mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So Super Three's kind of added itself into the pathway. Um it's probably changed. I mean, you probably look at it 15 years ago and you would have gone, well, there was Development Series was kind of there. But Formula Ford, Formula Holden, that was kind of yeah,
1: yeah.
0: go. You might do development because it was pretty new at the time. But
1: That's it. there's no national, nationally based national championship low level open wheeler category. Formula Ford is still around, of course, in- mm. with a national series, but it is not a national championship. And you do see a lot of the guys who are now coming through into Super Two still having done done that. Like mm-hmm. Angelo Mazuris yep. is a Formula yep. Ford champion. Uh, no Jada did Formula Ford, yeah, so yeah. it is still oh, yeah. extensively used. It's, it's,
0: it's yeah, it's totally part of the pathway. I think you got just to add, not as visible. No, that's right. It's not on a Supercars race meeting. It's not. Um, on that higher platform that it used to be, but it doesn't mean it's not serving the purpose mm. of developing those skills of drivers. I think Trans Am is probably going to start to come into that conversation soon. Yeah, it's not that's just because we, we got involved with Aaron Seaton recently, by the way, winner at Phillip <laughs> Island. Just had to slip that in there. Thought you'd bring that up. Well, it's cost effective. Yeah, and and if as long as it's once it's got uh, relevant, not relevant. What's the word I'm looking for here? Um, it's got people in it that you can benchmark. Yeah. So if you beat Owen Kelly. You're doing going all right. Yeah. Owen Kelly's a known commodity as a supercars driver and in NASCAR competition and stuff like that. Aaron Seaton's now a known commodity from what he's done in various categories. You get another couple of people in there who've won stuff. In other. You know, Tim Brooke won in Toyota 86s. He yeah. can pedal a race car. So if you do well in that and it's cost effective, it could be part of the development pathway to, to stepping it up down the track. But I think if you want to go supercars, you're still going to have to go through Super 2 you're still going to probably have to start in Super 3 just to get miles, just to get noticed, just to get people to stop and look at you down the track. But it's going to be dictated by what um, what your pocket allows you to do or not do, basically. But that's nothing new. Story Nothing of new. Unfortunately. Um, Chris Wilson. This is not, by the way, Chris Wilson, ex-Stone Brothers commercial man who's now with Penske in the States. Well, I'm pretty the sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Uh, he's a 90s Falcon Tragic he'd love to know how many of the Falcons are still left in or been returned to their EB model specifications. He says that he knows that many of them were converted into EFs. However, seeing the Perkins 93 Bathurst winning VP Commodore restoration made him wonder if many had been converted to EB or stayed in their original guise.
1: See, there weren't very many teams running EBs because they were only the front-line... Falcon for two seasons, essentially. And so- there weren't
0: many teams in Fords.
1: No, exactly. Any so the privateer
0: was- just about went and got a Commodore.
1: Sure. With the exceptions of- Would you call Moffat a privateer by that point? Oh, uh, yeah. I yeah. would. So, Alan Moffat, of course, ran the Ceno- the very visually stunning Synovus EB. Uh, we had Kevin Waldock yep. running his own EB and Gary Wilmington building his own EB. Mm. But apart from that, it was DJR and Glenn Seton Racing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, there weren't actually very many EB Falcons built. No. The only two that I could find that were never updated was the Wilmington car that mm-hmm. remained an EB for its life. And there was also an EB built by Les Small that never actually raced, but it was built as an EB and never, to to my understanding, no. was ever Didn't upgraded. Race. No. There have been a couple that have been restored back to EB. So, the Moffat car, uh, after it was sold off by the Moffat team, was upgraded to EF or EL.
0: El yeah. ended up as an El with Alan Heath. That's and right. It was converted back later on. So, uh, interesting part about that is someone out there has the original logbook to that car.
1: Ah. Because
0: when Ross Halliday owned that car, he had a break in in his car, his road car, mm. and a briefcase and documentation was stolen. In among it was the original logbook. Jeez. Which, if you've got it, or if you know someone that does, do the right thing. Yes. Tell us about it, and we won't dub you in
1: was very serious.
0: Hmm. <laughs> I get very angry with things with history being That's lifted. True. Like, fair enough. To be honest, if someone's just broke into a car randomly, it's probably all been hoiked. Yeah. I would have thought. Yeah. But you never know. It anyway, could be I feel better said it
1: now. All good. Uh and there just to finish that off, there are a couple of car. there are a couple of Falcons that are being returned to E B spec at the moment. A couple of DJR cars and G S R three, the ninety three championship winner. Mm. is also on its way back to becoming an EB. A
0: few long-term resto projects there, but they'll be good when they're uh, they're finitoed and finished and ready to roll.
1: Yes. Next question from Carl Phillips. What are the chances of seeing another Legends of Motorsport series and who can we start petitioning to get it started? (laughs) We need more motorsport-related shows between rounds along the lines of the footy show, and if you were to slash could start one that's not Legends of Motorsport, what would it entail?
0: A few things to unpack out of all of that, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, first part, what are the chances of seeing another Legends of Motorsport series? Um, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but in basic terms, these things happen. They, they're like car racing. They're like you need money. Hmm. It needs a partner. In that case, it was Shannon's who understand and appreciate the value of the property or have a need at the time for a – a commercial connection, and are willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to put something like this together. Serious money involved. Mm. We're making a a series like we did um, two times over, plus, obviously, we did a little third series of just online content. Um, What are the chances? The chances of doing it like we did it are zero because, and, and we knew this at the time, that would be the last time you would publicly to that level see or hear Some of those people. Yeah. So John Harvey's gone. Yep. Alan Moffat's in a position where he's unable to obviously do something like that again. So we did two episodes, remember, with Alan. Mm. Um, uh, There's guys that are just too old to travel now or the memories have slipped a bit, not because there's dementia or anything like that that Alan's obviously going through, but um, it just gets to the point where you just can't do it anymore. That's not to say that you couldn't do other people or more modern legends or the next era, Um, but the whole thing around this. Look, would I like to do another series? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. It is probably the most enjoyable, special project I've done in motorsport media, particularly the television side of things. To be sitting there late at night trawling through the Channel 7 archive vault in at Channel 7 at Docklands was pretty cool. (laughs) I did have square eyes at the end of it, but... Um, there were little things that we did in that series. And it wasn't so much the on-air. It was the behind the scenes and the the dinners in between and the travel to and from and all those sorts of things that were cool. Anyway, I'm getting away from the actual real answer. I'd love to. A petition won't help unless it comes with money attached to it. Um, I do agree we do need some more motorsport content to fill the gaps between the rounds. I don't think a footy, the footy show's been and gone. It's, yeah. There's a reason why it doesn't exist anymore. But I understand what Carl's saying is, yeah. is something that fills the gaps in between. So
1: That's not just a panel show talking about what's just happened. Correct. That's been tried. That didn't work either.
0: Yeah, and I think why well, it will never work. It, it could work, but it won't work in the supercars realm while it's – it's producing its own television, All this, but more so all the people working on the events of which, what are we now, 12 a year, mm. are the same people who would have to work on all of this between content. Yeah. They are just – just, there's just not enough people to do it all and not enough money to then pay more people to do it if those people don't do it. Mm. So when you understand the machinations of all of those elements, then you can understand why that we don't just click our fingers and go and make another series. I'd love to. I think – it, we could do because we kind of run out. We did the Channel 7 era um, at a time the first year of Shane's Legends in 14 was the last year of the seven rights. So for 2015, we could still press on. But obviously, with all of our guests and all of the content, we stopped short at 1996, mm. basically, vision wise. We weren't in a realm to use supercars era vision. So now, for example, yeah, the timing would be good. Channel mm. Seven supercars are are back together in 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 um in a rights arrangement, so access I would presume to the vault would be much easier, and and to also use the more modern stuff as a as a way to connect all that through. So um, there's a few hurdles that have been probably cleared there, but then there's. Just the big hurdle that it just seriously, you know, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. and
1: You think of all the people that are involved in producing a TV show. It's not just the people on screen or the person holding the camera, unfortunately.
0: No, and I'll tell you that those shows were done and and Crompton was the, you know, he wasn't just the host and he was the producer, director. I don't think he quite made the sandwiches, but just about. (laughs) He would have ordered them. But it's, and we did it, I think we did it really well. I wouldn't say, when you say on a budget infers that it was compromised and the product wasn't as good. I think the product was still really yeah. good.
1: but Ultimately, everything's on a budget. It's yeah, just, that's right. Yeah. So
0: that's why we filmed four episodes at Bowden's, four episodes at the Bathurst Museum, four episodes at um, Shannon's old um, base here in Melbourne. They're not there anymore. They've moved not far away from there. So rather than decamp all the gear and go to each of those places four separate times... Economies of scale, set it all up once and do a massive day of filming and do four episodes in a day. That's where your costs are going to be much better than going off doing 12 episodes in 12 locations. Mm. If you try to do it that way, there's no way it would ever happen because yeah. the costs would be through the roof. But you're right. By the time you pay your talent and your staff, your, your freelance cameramen, your sound people, your makeup artists, your staging people, um, You pay for some set stuff. You pay for graphics for the broadcast. You pay for editing. You pay for so many things. Um, I think a lot of our listeners' ears would fall off if they knew the real price of all that sort of stuff and what it really costs to create. I think a lot of people think just make some tally, slap some vision together and click your fingers and it's done, if only, if (laughs) only. That would would be great. But I'm not sure any ideas on what you think that some in-between-the-rounds content from a television perspective could be.
1: Well, you, you just look at how Fox Footy treat treat their content in between in between matches in during the week. There's a lot of there's a lot of clear things there that I think would make a lot of sense and transition directly across to our sport. Examples. I don't want to give anything away in case we get the opportunity <laughs> to actually do one of these <laughs> give things. Give us one example there. Oh well, the show I open mic seems like a pretty it. logical. Oh, I've said log- it for ages. We essentially that's what wh- that's what you do. Um, as a podcast every other Wednesday, um, just with just with a nice set and cameras and a bit of TV production. Mm. I mean, that, that would be a logical thing to translate across. Mm. Um, yeah, true. And we talk about how budgets work for standalone productions. That also applies within networks like Fox Sports. I mean, there's also internal budgets and resourcing that has to be looked at. So, it's not always a, well, Fox has the rights, they can do these things. They also need to deploy those staff and... Um, deploy their editors, deploy their producers, and actually spend time doing those things, that all comes at a cost as well. Mm. And if the budget's not there to do it, which I guess in the current climate it probably isn't, um, we this is where we are.
0: And this is probably taking us down a couple of extra rabbit holes here, but I think it's a good discussion, so we may as well just go with it a little bit. But, just be- yeah, like you said, just because you've got the rights, just because you've got the vision,
1: doesn't mean you can. It doesn't
0: just mean you can. There's so many parts that have to come together to be able to make something happen. And then you've got the reality of the changing world that we live in. So we did Shannon's Legends in 2014 and 15. Mm. So look at – we're in 2021 now. Look at the rise of Netflix, Stan, Amazon, the streaming service. Yeah. You pick what you want kind of thing, world that we're going to. Like if you think we've progressed a lot in the last five, six years in that area – Buckle up and get ready for the next five or six years because I think the way you're going to consume your stuff, whether you like movies or car racing or whatever it is, regular television as you knew it ain't going to exist anymore. And that's where I reckon there's opportunity. That's Mm. where I reckon there's opportunity for some of this more niche stuff to be able to get a run because it'll be the fan who wants it will have to pay for it. Mm. But if they pay for it, they'll get it. Yes. Whereas at the moment, it doesn't quite work that kind of a way. So – uh, great question, Carl. Appreciate it, mate. Um, there's probably a, a whole discussion to be had on the Legends of Motorsport series behind the scenes for yes. a chat for a, another time somewhere along the line. That would be
1: a good podcast.
0: Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online thanks to Castrol's Jo to Oil Tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state, and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products, to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number two, and oil and find out. Scott Woodwiss, uh, there's a few supercars. Oh, he's in the UK. So there's a few V8s that have ended up in the UK, a few Falcons, a few Commodores. There's a few hundred of them that our friend Alex Sidwell owns. He seems to own <laughs> more than are in Australia. He said, do you know of any other V8 cars that have ended up elsewhere outside of Australia and New Zealand? It'd be interesting to know if they're circulating still and out and about competing in continental Europe, the Americas, or Asia. Uh, there's lots.
1: There has been quite a few over time. You think a couple of DJR Falcons back in the day went over to um, went over to the UK and were competing in, like, Brit car Enduros, ran in Nürburgring, VLN Sprints, mm. or VLN Enduros, I should say. Uh, at the moment, probably the highest profile car that's overseas that's not in that's um not in the UK is probably the 2017 championship winner.
0: Oh, Jamie Wincup's car, the Red yeah, Bull yeah. car, yeah. So th- that is with um, uh, Prince he- Jeffrey Ibrahim, yeah, yeah with his I'm family for, yeah. in um in Johor in Malaysia. So that um of course he's driving for a Triple Eight Mercedes in the. I keep going to give it the full title, but it's the Australian GT Championship. Yeah. You know, whatever, the GT World Challenge Australia presented by, powered by. Amazon Web Yeah, uh, et, cetera, yes, et, cetera, AWS. et cetera, Yeah, it's the longest buddy name in the history of um, categories. There's a Briggs AU that was reskinned to BA that Matty White sold to Malaysia. I think it's still up there kicking about somewhere. Okay. Uh, remember the twenty? 20- you did the story, but you spoke to the bike. 2013 Bathurst winner went to Germany.
1: Oh, uh, yeah, so overseas. it was recently back up for sale.
0: Yeah, I saw that. I'm not sure if it's sold. Uh, mm. We might have to get our pennies out to bring it home. Uh, there's obviously a DJR car in the states that has been used for demos and stuff with Brian Briscoe. That started its life as a Falcon, has been converted to a Mustang, though it doesn't have an under tray and all the elements that all the things you of- could
1: illegally test a car exactly. in a wind tunnel with. Yes, exactly. Um, I guess there's probably going to be a couple of other DJR Falcon slash Mustangs heading over to the USA at some point I as well. I think
0: you're very right. I would get the impression there's three or four cars that are going to be departing at some point down the track to head to the Penske Museum. Uh, being uh, as part of the, you know, I guess the the dissolution of the DJR Penske marriage. So uh, it was DJR Team Penske, so therefore those cars, the McLaughlin Championship winners, the Bathurst winning Mustang, Coulthard's first DJR Penske race winning car, those sorts of cars will be heading on a, a plane at some stage to uh, to head over there. So that'll add to the count of... Of cars offshore, yeah. There's been plenty. There was a time when there was a, a left-hand drive Commodore in Germany, an ex Landsvale car as well. Oh yeah, which is is now back in Australia. Has been for some time. It's a it's one of those highly interesting ones. But yeah, there's there's plenty around there. But there's lots of them in the UK for sure. Mm.
1: Next question from Daniel Sinclair. Love the podcast, guys. Thank you. Very good feedback as It's just as well. a way as to as get a good- your question
0: yeah. asked, really,
1: isn't it? Oh, I mean, it's sure. very
0: smart. I like
1: it. Yeah, it's he's good. done well, Daniel. He's just wondering how many Nissan Skyline DR30s were built by Gibson Motorsport during the mid-1980s. Mm, three? Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think there's three. There was the initial one that George Fury rolled out at the start of 86, which had been built in 85, and we've actually got shots. I think we've got
0: shots of it being built, don't yeah, we? Yeah. In the photo files. In yeah. plain
1: white. Um, then there was the second car that was built- for ahead of or well, during the um that was run as a second car during the championship, and then there was a third car that was built for Bathurst in 1986 <laughs> that um had a very very large appetite for tyres and it didn't was handle particularly
0: well. Gary Glenn Seton talks about it in his book. Actually, um, it's not just a plug for the book, but um. Mad March Sale on now. It is one of the books that we have a, a week-only discount on, bookshop.v8sleuth.com.au. He talked about being absolutely frightened by it. He thought it was – I think George Fury's line was, it was going to launch off a hump on Conrad and land on someone's barbecue. Like <laughs> yes. That's how how stiff it was and it just kept taking off. And I think Glenn was actually not that thrilled to drive the thing and might have told Fred it- and Fred might have told him, I think, mate, you better get in and shut up and drive <laughs> it. So I don't um, think
1: anyone that we've talked to – including Fred in the podcast recently, talks about those cars with any sense of reverence or enjoyment. They were just- Ask
0: JB about when he drove one. Yeah, (laughs) I think we
1: did on his his pod when he came in.
0: Yeah, I think we did. And and he definitely talked about it on Shannon's Legends years ago. And that's the thing. At the time, it's the latest and greatest, but look back on it. Oh, my
1: God. What a- (laughs) You don't well, know how just truly, especially the guys who hadn't, like Glenn and for that matter, JB, who hadn't really driven too many touring cars. You didn't have much to compare it against. Yeah, you don't always know just how terrible something is until you get in something good and go, hang on, what have I just been doing? Well,
0: the good thing is it gave us the 87 Bathurst famous vision of Glenn doing his um, sideways action and the, the yes. various lines of commentary of, of Wilco. and
1: He's safe as the bank of safe England. Safe as the bank of England yeah. is
0: Mike's line that uh, sticks out to me. Oh, goodness. Oh, oh, he's fine. He'll be safe as the Bank of England. No worries. All good. He's he's a kid. He's a carter. He knows what he's doing. (laughs) You can just about do the whole line of all the commentary um, and cover it off. So, yeah, uh, three, Daniels is the, the answer for the DR30s and driven by a a bunch of very brave drivers.
1: Yes. Next question from Adam Blattman. How do you think a Speedway-style pole shuffle would go being introduced into the championships? You do it at circuits, under lights for TV, or tracks that have good passing opportunities. Spice up the package and benefit sponsors with additional airtime.
0: Would never get up.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's probably the biggest, uh, <laughs> biggest road uh,
0: You know, I love- You look back on the Dash for Cash is probably the most comparable thing that we've had. Mm. There's no Mike Raymond to push that anymore. There's yeah. no, um, there's no big promoter entertainment. There's mm. no, if you if you launch this into the commission tomorrow, I think you'd get laughed out the door. To be honest with you, um, we look doing it under lights. Well, you've got to have a race meeting under lights. So mm. we've got a couple of those um, tracks that have good passing opportunities. Do what? we? Do we? Uh, well, Some you know, uh, there's, there's no going to be one more of those when Gen
1: Three comes out. Yeah, in yeah.
0: I I don't think it spices up the package. I think it would just feel gimmicky. I'm afraid. I know they do it in Speedway, and I know it works well there. But I think in circuit racing, it, it's more for entertainment. Totally. I, I'd like to see it trialed, but I don't reckon it would ever get to that stage where where they'd go, all right, let's let's have a crack at this and implement it. The whole concept of um, when you it's think an about interesting
1: it, cultural difference between Speedway and circuit racing. Yeah.
0: Exactly, and when you think – I have had this chat with Larco over the years, and he's got some really out there thoughts, but when you think about it, you go, that's actually not that out there. So, he goes – and I'm sort of um,
1: – Paraphrasing? Para- yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. You got the word before I can find out. it. So, it's kind of like, well, what do you expect? You line up the cars in 24 cars in the order of which their speed is, and then you say, oh, that was crap. They didn't pass one other. <laughs> what do you expect when you line them up in their order of speed? Yeah. Um, so that's where he said, you know, you look at motocross, supercross. Yeah. You line them all up and then you let them go and they funnel in and then they race from there. Yeah. Now, the fastest rider ain't going to be the best starter. No. Not every time. Maybe sometimes. But Larco's even drawn up. He sat there one day in a TV compound with me and he drew up this thing where you go, you start all the cars down off this, you know, off the track in this staging area mm. and you let them go 10 at a time. Because you're, you, know, yeah, you line yeah. twenty four cars side by side. That's a lot of bitumen. <laughs> so, yes, and, and take off, and they funnel out, and they're not going to be in the order that their speed is.
1: No, nah, that's a really good point. Don't so say you start
0: everyone even, hmm. or relatively even, or more even than they are now. Let them go. The theory's really good,
1: really good. Until you get to turn one.
0: Well, you got to get them onto the track somehow before <laughs> yeah. you get to wherever you like start that. them from.
1: I like that as a concept.
0: Yeah. If I, gonna- I have
1: no idea how we could actually physically execute it at a, oh, a track. No idea. Winton is probably the right. one I could think of where you just pave a big part of that um, infield area with the loop leading around to the- <laughs> And you could run them to- You could do that. You could theoretically yeah. do that.
0: Yeah. Uh, you know- Jeff Gregg. Th- th- get think- <laughs> on it. Oh, I think it's going to go above him. Um, <laughs> yes. I-, I think that the- Getting something like that to ever fly- but. The theory of it makes sense. Look, you know, the concept back in the day of we're going to take the six fastest qualifiers, you're going to draw a card, you know, you'll go back in the field, you might get some points, you might not, you might this, you might that. We've tried, we've done... Reverse full grids for a bit. It died very quickly. We did yeah. the dash for cash. It died after two years. We've tried the. Rever- I think in two thousand they reversed the top six for the next race. Yeah, a bit of that sort of stuff.
1: Which Lyco won one of those races.
0: He did. Yeah, that's right. With his WWF belt at Calder after his big shunt at Oran Park. Um, I I don't think it would make anyway. Short answer. It's, it's interesting discussion to have and mm. what can you do to spice it. But I think you'll always find there's resistance from anything that feels gimmicky or it feels manufactured, manufactured is what I was trying to say. Mm. So, yeah, nice theory, but, yeah, can't see it happening, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, This is for you. (laughs) This this is all for you. This next one, um, Terry Harvest, if the season was one big long race, who would win? By adding all the race times together, who would have had the shortest combined race time in 2020?
1: This is kind of like Larko's idea of lining all 24 cars up side by side at the start of the season and just mm. letting them go. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I will admit, I, I do have the answer for this. You
0: got your pencil and paper and pen and you sat there for 94 days on end figuring this out.
1: No, I asked Shane. <laughs> oh, our own <laughs> Shane Rogers, the king yeah. of
0: the database. Yes, yeah. well, that made it about better. Three second job, brother. Yeah, it was a three
1: year job. No, no trees were harmed in the creation of this answer.
0: Okay, so who who would have won, and how much would they have won by? How, how does it all? work? The fastest
1: way to work this out is to um find out which drivers can, comp- which if any drivers completed every single racing lap of the season, and mm-hmm. if there's one, well, it's them. Mm-hmm. Um, last year we only looked at 2020. Uh, last year there were two drivers that completed all 1,134 racing laps across the season. Mm-hmm. Unsurprisingly, one of those was Scott McLaughlin. Who the the other? The other one was Chaz Mostert.
0: Okay. Yeah, right.
1: One forward, one Holden. Right. And much like the championship itself, it was McLaughlin that was first across the line. After 28 hours, (laughs) 47 minutes, 15.3408 seconds. Oh, that 08 could make all the difference. It could. Um, It didn't in this respect because Mostert trailed home in second place. Six minutes, 17 seconds, 17.1893 seconds behind.
0: Those who don't like numbers have fallen asleep on the podcast at the moment. But that is astounding. That's a question that you would normally go, no way we can figure that out. But that's the answer.
1: You look at it as a um, percentage, though. It sounds like a massive number, but over the course of the season, that's 0.34 of a percent difference.
0: It it sounds like a lot. If you stood there with your watch and counted out six, six minutes, 17 for the next car to come by... You'd think you're at the Nürburgring or something like yeah. that because yes. the lap length so long. But, yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? That's Well, there you go, Terry. If you didn't think we could come up with an answer, bang. Yes. There's the answer. <laughs> there's the answer. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, who was P3, by the way? Who was next most laps completed?
1: Next was Fabian Coulthard. Right. Who, How many
0: laps behind?
1: Uh, I just have the number here and I'm terrible at mental. Oh, he was 12 laps behind. Oh,
0: Twelve laps, behind.
1: A one thousand one hundred and twenty-two laps because he had that um, driveline failure at the bend. Ah, uh, yes, yep, yep. Uh, but that was really his only—the only laps he didn't complete all season. And you look at um, Shane van Gisbergen; he had a one thousand one hundred and three laps completed. So, what's that about? 31 mm. off the pace. Mm-hmm. He had two DNFs, one of course late in the race in Adelaide, another in Townsville, and he also finished another one of the Townsville races 9 laps down. So that's how that's how easy it is to not for someone who's otherwise a champ or in the top 5 of the championship to um not complete all the laps.
0: Wow, that's my head spinning to come up with to, to the fact that you guys have come up with the answer to that. That is outstanding. There is no one else I reckon in the country who could come up with that so quickly. So Shane Rogers, who runs our database, uh, take the day off after that because that's uh, that's fairly epic stuff. Uh, Dick Guerin, uh, love the podcast. Great way to guarantee a question to be asked. Why wasn't the applause for Brock on lap five at Bathurst continued as a tradition? It was encouraged for a few years, then nothing.
1: See, that was a uh, this was 2016 when that happened. 10th mm-hmm. anniversary of his passing. That was a big screen thing initiative, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah and i thought i personally thought that was really cool like the amount of noise and cheering on lap 5 of a Bathurst 1000 is a bit different to um a bit different to normal and in some in some instances is probably more than the cheering that happened on lap 161 mm, mm. um i like it as a concept um but i, don- I honestly don't remember it ever happening after that
0: no I, I do remember it being pushed there what's that 5 years ago or whatever mm. it was but i think that there's there's a Brock trophy. There's a lot of Brockness in Bathurst. Uh, I, I get it. It's, it's a nice touch. You know, it's kind of cool when, you know, everyone at a Daytona 500 puts their three fingers up for Dale Earnhardt exactly, on lap yeah. three. But um, I just feel it's a bit more American than
1: Australian, perhaps. So um, In uh, another five years, maybe. I, yeah. I like the idea of it on anniversaries. But, yeah, every yeah, year might I, be a bit much. I think much. it's
0: one of those things. There's, you know, we, we honour him with the trophy every year and you can't have Bathurst or the lead-up to Bathurst or the storytelling of Bathurst without him connected and involved in it anyway. So you're going to have your your Brockness. It's going to be Brocktober no matter what, whether <laughs> you lift five fingers up or you clap or you do whatever anyway. So, um, yeah, that, that's my take on that one. Uh, Bruce Hocking, this is a good one actually. Yeah. Gardening leave. Explain it for dummies. Pros and cons <laughs> for the gardener the team's going to and leaving length etc cetera, etc cetera.
1: well the obvious pro for the gardener is they're sitting at home getting paid for not working
0: or their wife has made them or partners made them work very diff- very hard in the garden <laughs> and go, well Actually, if you're on gardening way. leave That front yard that you need to fix up, get on it now.
1: You've got six months. (laughs) You remember when um, Adrian Burgess uh, departed 888?
0: He did some good social work, didn't he?
1: Well, I just remember seeing in the- This is back when I worked at Fox Sports and we had access to the entire suite of News Corp library photos. And and up popped one day photos of Adrian washing the car. Wasn't there a spy- It
0: looked like a spy shot taken of him washing his car in front of his house. Yeah, yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: the thing is, um, ex- pros and cons explanation. So, for a team that if you've got a guy who has – so, let's say a current example, Grant McPherson mm. is confirming he's leaving 888, he's going to welcome and United. So, if you're Roland Dane and the team at 888, you've got a guy who, let's say he's – I mean, and we don't know the ins and outs of Grand no. Triple H's deal, but I'm just using that as a as a current scenario. But
1: he's a guy who, for since when did he arrive at the team? 2014? Oh,
0: somewhere about there. 2015.
1: Yeah, has had a very intimate knowledge of how those cars have developed, how the team goes about creating speed, and all the different thing yep. evolutions and of he's things they've they created. Get
0: that, either? No, I'm not no. saying he's going to walk in and spill his guts to no, no, Walkinshaw's no. sure because he's a a, high, a guy of high integrity. But the, the fact is that if you've got a guy and you're halfway through a season and he's going to leave after one race and start the next week, well, you'd rather have had six months gap or four months gap or whatever it might be that he wasn't around, that he wasn't seeing what was going on. Mm. So those latest developments, those latest plannings, those latest plotting for what's happening next with part development or whatever it is, he's not across that. He's, he's not going to be up to speed on that. So I think – I. I understand it more now as an employer, yeah, if you've never employed people or run a company or a business, whether it be one person, five people or fifty or five hundred, don't reckon you get it, but would you put simply, would you want someone working in your business who knows that they're leaving and you know that they're leaving, working on projects that are commercially sensitive or that have to hit a deadline or that just if they're if they're just not up for it? If their yeah. brain's departed, what's the point in having them there working on a project that they're not going to see through till its completion? You may as well, you know,
1: make a call. For sure. Even with having a really good relationship in that circumstance, it's, yeah, it's a weird lame duck period of time. Not ca- And that's not factoring in all those commercial sensitivities you talked about.
0: And all these deals are different. Yeah. There's no one... Um, one actual this is how gardening leave happens, you do this, the other person does that, they're all slightly different. They've all got slightly Mm. different caveats or depending on what their existing agreements of employment were or where they're going. You know, sometimes people might leave. I mean, they only really get a gardening leave period if they're going to a competitor. Yeah. If you were to be, I want to leave the team because I'm going to go and take a job in another industry or I'm going to go and do something completely different. That's different. Yeah. But when you're going to another place where you can, in essence, compete against the, the place that you've left and potentially beat them mm. or um, impact them commercially by beating them, yeah. um, then obviously something like this comes into play. So, yeah, look, Bruce, there's no specific length. Everything, everyone's different, but you know, six months is a common um, timeframe. I've heard in Formula One of, of a year mm. even of some people who – And clearly that's – we're talking real high-stakes stuff at that level. Um, But uh, I think that explains it a bit more. Gardening leave. Yeah. It's it's a
1: catch-all term. It's not like they've been um, contractually obliged to spend time in their – physically in their garden. (laughs) For, for, for three to six months. If you
0: were smart, you'd go and get a, a sponsorship deal with Victor or something like that to get you through <laughs> your, your gardening leave, a bit of social content.
1: Gardening leave brought to you by Massport.
0: Yeah, why not? Yeah, Why not? All about a deal, all about a deal. <laughs> We've had so many great questions. We always do. Thanks, everyone, for, for sending them through. Keep them flowing through our social media accounts, obviously Facebook and Instagram are the two main ones but we are on Twitter too Um, we have a contact page on our website so you can contact us through there v don't forget our Mad March sale ends Sunday March 28 at 11.59pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time up to 25% off a pile of our products, books, DVDs, prints memorabilia, heaps of discounts take advantage of those, we don't do sales very often so we are having our Mad March sale right through to March 28th Um, we're under one that's another pod done Monday Repco Supercars Weekly's back bolted into your diary for every Monday where we talk about the latest and greatest in the Repco Supercars Championship in the meantime though we will join you for another sit down episode in a week's time keep listening to the VHS podcast powered by Repco if you haven't heard it before go through the old episodes there are only a cool 101 to work your way through <laughs> um, if you've got some gardening leave you might just make it through in time.
1: We haven't, um, we haven't worked out the cumulative runtime run time of those podcasts. Let's but, yeah, if anyone wants to know, we'll figure it let's out.
0: Let's get Shane onto that. That's a job for next week. Thanks again <laughs> for listening, everyone. Send the questions in. We'll keep providing the answers and we'll give you some more cool motorsport content in the upcoming weeks. Thanks again and keep listening to the Beats with Podcast Powered by Repco. See you later. Do you know how to find the right oil for your car? Now you can find out quickly and easily online. Thanks to Castrol's Rego to Oil tool. Simply type in your Rego, select your state and within seconds you'll know the best Castrol products to unlock the edge of performance in your car. So what's your car best suited to? Just search Rego, the number 2 and oil and find out.